And I was shown that um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely behind it, again, under false pretenses. He's going to show up and say, I'm here to save the day, right? Uh, and, okay, fine, you know. Yeah, of course, ahead, you can say whatever it. you want. But I've always hated censorship. It's the internet. Sometimes, you know, once they get you for your first love bite, well, it depends on how aware you are, right? I forgot my bullets. I never had a gun. Here I am left standing. Am I the only one? Well, I see memories that guilted me. I'll never see the sun. Uh, first of all, as you know, the uh, the Anunnaki and the Draco are enemies. Second of all, underneath Baghdad was a stargate that was created by the Anunnaki so that they could transfer from Jupiter to the Earth. Practitioners that you know some are are good and some use their magic for good and to heal and to help, and others do use it for evil. And you know, in some cases, you know, people really were. This is too much sometimes. From the broken ruins of Babylon, this is End of Days Radio. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Or happy July 3rd, at least. The date is indeed July 3rd, 2017. How are you? This is your host, Daniel, broadcasting to you all the way from the shimmering Emerald City right here in the heart of the Pacific Northwest. Today's guest is going to be Kivi Niemi from the band Kittenhead. Kittenhead is a Los Angeles-based rock band formed in May 2012 by four friends united in their desire to create high-energy rock and roll. From the first magical moment of working on a couple of obscure covers, it became apparent to all that their diverse musical styles and background came together with a spirit of symbiosis and musicianship. Each member of Kittenhead is an accomplished musician and songwriter with with touring and stage experience. All right. So let's go ahead and see if we can't get a hold of Kiwi. Oh, wait. Here we go. Hello? Hey there. Oh, there you are. Awesome. How are you? Doing great. How are how are you doing today, Kiwi? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm at work. You oh. can tell I'm working. <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Well, one thing I like to do starting off is to just get a little bit of get a little bit of a taste of where you're coming from. If you wouldn't mind, could you could you maybe 
tell my listeners a little bit about your experience growing up, where you grew up, what it was like? Um, sure. I grew up on the Oregon coast. So, um, a town called Astoria, it's about 10,000 people, a very working class, very, uh, Finnish and Scandinavian. Um, I grew up actually working on fishing boats. My family were commercial fishermen. Um, so, uh, I started mending nets when I was like six and worked on fishing boats, like pulling in fishing nets in, you know, that deadliest catch gear (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, freezing cold water, uh, pulling in salmon and sturgeon and the like. Um, so yeah, went to high school, uh, sang in the choir, played sports. Um, what sports were you into? I played everything because it was a small town and there wasn't a lot to do and there was no music like there was a, just a dearth. There was an AM station that did sort of talk stuff. There was like this Christian station that was terrifying and a country Western station, you know, like, so there was like this AM station that, that basically broadcast all the local sports stuff like they do in small towns. Um, so, like, my music, I got tapes from my cousins uh, in Finland, and they would they would make me these tapes that uh, – and I also had a pen pal in Australia, and they would send me mixtapes. I would have no idea what I was listening to, but it was great. Later on, I figured out that it was, like, the germs, a uh, bunch of punk rock stuff, uh, you know, Iggy Pop. Uh, cap, uh, girls school, really heavy metal, early punk stuff. Uh, and and we're talking actual 80s style cassette tapes. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking, yeah, you know, late eighties, you're talking cassette tapes that we would make for each other. Yeah. I remember doing that. I remember recording songs off the radio and and feeling like I was awesome because I got a song for free. Right. Well, and you could, you know, it, I mean, it's one thing to make a playlist, but like to, to put the physicality of like stopping and starting the, the cassette tape and trying to fit everything into like that, that finite amount of time you had. So like you'd go like, okay, I really want something that sounds like this, but I have like a minute. What song can I find? (laughs) You know, that you could like either cut it off at a place. So it would make sense or uh, find something that was short enough to fit in that space. So yeah, that whole different sort of artistry and uh, interaction with music. Did you have any real favorites growing up? Did you have like somebody that you would listen to that maybe inspired you a little bit? Um, you know, as a woman, I always 
wanted to see or hear a badass woman just owning it. I hated all that crap that, you know, that pop schlock, oh, women are nice and sweet and it's always, it's all overproduced. And so, you know, it was like Joan Jett and uh, Chrissy Hine, Pat Benatar, those women who really rocked, Tina Turner, uh, that whole, you know, you don't own me, I own me, and if I, you know, I'm going to grab you, and if that's what I want to do, then, you know, you're it. But not this whole, um, a woman is a possession, is an object, is, you know. I I think it was Joan Jett who said, uh, pop music is about what's going to be done to you, and rock and roll is about what I'm going to do to you. It does kind of seem like there's there's been a kind of an imbalance, I guess you could say. I mean, I think women have great voices. You would think that having that higher octave voice would translate into a lot of big rock and heavy metal type of female singers, but it seems like only now it's really starting to happen. Well, you know, uh, the record industry and radio in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s and even the 80s had a written rule at first and then it became an unwritten rule that you could never play women back to back on the radio or they or you would quote unquote lose your listener so it was actually in the culture of radio not to play women and having been somebody who is geeky enough to do research about radio play and and the history of rock and roll and those are the sort of I read a ton but I love reading uh biographies about musicians and uh about the industry so yeah there was actually a written rule and then later on an unwritten rule to tap down that whole idea of women owning themselves and playing rock and roll. And you're right. I think that it's now starting to change slowly. Did you ever get any negative reactions from people that, um, did did anybody tell you like maybe it wouldn't work out or it might be a bad idea trying to front a band? Um, I think that I think it still happens when we, you know, Kittenhead has three women and our and our dude um, Owen, and I think there are times still people will look at us and they think that it's a. a you know, that we're together for the look and that they don't realize that, you know, my guitar players both can shred with anyone that, and it has nothing to do with gender. Um, I'm no, I can't tell you like 
I can't say this person told me that I couldn't do this. I know that people have told me that, you know, that being a, a woman would be a harder, uh, you know, a harder choice to be in the music industry. And I'm like, you know, I can't change the fact that I'm a woman. I guess in this world, I, I guess I could. I don't want to change the fact that I'm a woman. And I am very definitely passionate about music. So there's no way that I was going to pay attention to anyone that told me that I couldn't do this. I mean, it's like, you know, both middle fingers up when you tell me that I can't do something that I really want to do. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of my personality. Uh, my name Kivy means rock and I'm a little hard headed and stubborn. So it's, it's appropriate. Now, are there any types of music that you don't like or that you shy away from? Uh, I don't. I have very little appreciation for the um, for the poppy country stuff. That's mainly. I mean, some of it's some of it lyrically is very clever, but it's so formulaic that I get bored with it really quickly. Um, I think that there's a lot of really good musicians making Christian music, but I'm not a Christian, so I don't really vibe with that. Um, and also they can get a little preachy, so I don't really wander down that path very much. Uh, things that are highly misogynistic or hateful, uh, you know, I don't, I can't, can't groove with that can't listen to it what about some of this hip-hop with the big booties and 40 ounces and talking about slapping women all and all of that stuff well if it's you know if it's a party song talking about their 40s and you know i i'm down with that i like hip-hop a lot of, i like a lot of different music i mean i like old country too um it's just if it's misogynistic i'm you know i can't if you're talking about hitting your wife, partner, person. Um, it doesn't matter what your gender is. I'm not going to be down. Um, you know, with country music used to be fairly aggressive at times too, which I couldn't be down. And then, and there's, there's some rock music that's also misogynistic and I won't listen to that either. Oh uh, yeah. That's a good point. You know, so it's it's really about it's one of the things that I try to incorporate into our lyrics is respecting people, respecting who they are um, and honoring who we are as people, who we are as human beings. You know, if we're going to make to me, we're at a place in human history where the relationship is not working. Our relationship with the planet isn't working. Our relationships with each other aren't working. And we sort of need to move toward repairing our, uh, repairing our relationships with the planet, repairing our relationships with each other. And that's sort of, I try to send that message out in, in our music. Sometimes it's, something like dreamland which is really sounds very lovely 
lovely and and um, gentle. And other times it's Tin Man or a new song that we have coming out called Numb, which is much more aggressive and demanding. <laughs> um, you know, so and what do you think about music with uh, questionable character in the lyrics? Is it, you know, sometimes it's it's super hooky and, you know, it's got a good beat. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. Some of these songs, they talk about horrible things, like especially rap. I mean, I, I like rap. It has has great bass and it's very catchy. But some of the lyrics, I'll listen to them, and it's about selling drugs and doing this and that. And I just don't relate to that at all. I tend to relate better with rock music, metal music that has more of an artistic, poetic flavoring. But I I do appreciate hip-hop. I do like it a lot. But I do, at the same time, I have to wonder what type of role models are these these people being and what type of message are they putting forth? Is it a good thing for for society? I, I don't really know. Maybe it's not good to take it too seriously. It's hard for me to really take a side on that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think it's the same thing that um, that rock and roll was accused of in, in many ways. And I think that it's a balance. As an artist, I... I want my music to have a positive influence on people. But then, you know, I have things in my past that I'm angry about and hurt about. And so I do write about those. It doesn't mean that I want people to be angry or hurt. Um, I try to have those conversations in a way that, that hopefully people can relate to it and maybe transmute that for themselves but also you know if you're writing from your experience if your experience is selling drugs on the corner to get ahead you know as long as you're also talking about and now I'm not doing that and how do you find your way out of that you know it's a it's a process everybody starts at a place and Hopefully they move beyond a negative place for themselves. I have more of an issue with people glorifying a violent lifestyle, be it rock, rap, you know, the blues. The blues, lots of times they were talking about shooting up. So, you know, (laughs) Um, yeah, we forget about that. And then you look at somebody like, um, what's his name? I'm totally forgetting his name. Uh, the guy who wrote, uh, like, Let's Do It, the, the uh, composer, totally blanking. Um, you know, they, they, he wrote about sex all the time to the point where he wrote five or six verses of things because he knew they were going to just slash and burn half of his lyrics because in that time that was the corrupting influence to talk about sex in the thirties and forties. So, you know, I think it also is how's it going to be viewed in 10, 15, 20 years. Now I do want to, 
kind of get into the formation of the band a little bit. How did you and the other members of the band meet each other? Well, I, um, I graduated from law school. Whole other story. Um, was really disenchanted with the whole legal system and decided that I wasn't going to practice law. And I had been in a band in Seattle and I came, I was in LA, didn't really have a lot of music contacts in LA. So I put it out to a bunch of friends that I really wanted to start a band and a friend of a friend said, Hey, uh, there's this, uh, there's this chick you should meet. Her name's Dee Dee. Uh, she's really great guitar player. She's played in a lot of bands that you probably know, and you guys have a, you know, kind of the same sort of, uh, influences. So, so Dee Dee and I met up and she knew, uh, she knew, a drummer and we started playing with the drummer. We had a bass player who didn't really want to play out. So we replaced the bass player. And then after, so Kittenhead formed and it was all women at first. And then we found out really quickly that Dee Dee and I both really wanted to be uh, not a weekend jam band, but a more professional, we wanted to go in a professional direction and actually do this. And so we, she had been in a band with Owen before and Owen had seen us play and she asked Owen if he could fill in and he's like, fill in. I'll, I just, I'm, I'm here. I'm as long as you guys don't mind that I'm a dude. And we're like, we don't care if you're a dude, <laughs> not an issue. Um, so Owen joined and we auditioned Victoria and we knew that, Victoria was she was a perfect fit and that's really how the band became the band okay and Dee Dee plays what so Dee Dee and Dee Dee is our big uh she is a huge Star Wars nerd (laughs) (laughs) um she plays guitar and bass and Victoria plays guitar and bass. So we have a string section because they both, they switch off. It makes it really complicated for me to write this set, this set list. I can't just write out the set list. I have to go, okay, now who's playing what in this song? So, so, so they're, so they're sitting there, they're going, I want to play bass. No, I want to play bass. And then they just decide, okay, we can both play it. Right. So that's kind of yeah. different. I like that. Yeah. So halfway through, our set, they switch. Well, actually it's like we play four songs, they switch instruments. We play like, depending on how long our set is, they'll play like six to 10 songs. Then we switch again. And, uh, then we'll play another six songs after that. So, um, yeah, it's, and it's interesting. It gives us a different texture because people play you know, people interact with their instruments in different ways. So we have different 
tonality to songs because Dee Dee wrote this guitar line or Victoria wrote this guitar line. So I think it makes us more complex in many ways, which I like. Other people say that it doesn't give us a consistent sound, but Kittenhead's first rule is there are no rules. So there you go. It's you, do you guys have like a, a ritual that you do when you, when you get together and you put together this music? I wouldn't say we have a, a ritual or a way that we do things really. We, we tend to, we'll come in, we'll play a few songs just to get our rhythm together. And then we just feed off of each other. So it's really a great energy. Um, it's one of the nicest things about, uh, about this group of people is that, we put on great shows and we all are performers, but there's not a lot of excessive ego. Um, and so we're all very open to, Hey, you know, how about this? Or, Hey, what about this? And all of us contribute, you know, we'll work on music together and everybody puts their two cents in and we just try things until it works. Um, and it's very, it's very rare that we don't agree on things. Of course, personally, none of them really care too much about lyrics. So I'm kind of on my own. (laughs) So you guys, I take it you guys aren't having huge fights and arguments with huge egos flying around. It's not like a Metallica, Dave Mustaine situation, or it's the opposite. It sounds like. Yeah, I don't think we'll have to call in a counselor anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably a good thing. Maybe you guys will actually be able to last. Yeah. (laughs) You do know that story, right? They had a marriage counselor come in. (laughs) No, I didn't. That's insane, though. (laughs) Yeah, Metallica went to a marriage counselor as a group. And, you know, it's being in a band is like being in another relationship. It's truly. Yeah. I, I always joke that people, musicians are always, uh, poly. They're always polyamorous because they have, whether or not they are sleeping with other members of their band, which we have a no sleeping with other people in the band rule right off the bat. Um, but the thing is that you have an emotional connection to those people and there's an intimacy that you have to have to share yourself and create together. So it is, you know, the band is always the mistress. Now we we were talking about Metallica a little bit. Are you a big fan of them? I'm not a huge Metallica fan. I like Metallica. Uh, you know, I'm not one of those people who could tell you a ton about their music. Um, but like I said, I, I read a lot about different musicians. So, um, and I listen to interviews. That's how I know that they had a marriage counselor come in. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I would say if I had to choose between, you know, currently I would say Green Day and Metallica are the two biggest bands out of the Bay Area. I would probably choose Green Day just because they're a little more fun, but. Are you still a big fan of Green Day? I, I know they had quite a bit of backlash from their fans because of a certain album. Have you kind of stuck with them through it all? I don't, you know, this is the thing. As a musician, I, if people want to do something different, I, I fully support that. You know, I mean, I was a huge fan of David Bowie. Did I like everything he did? He put out 40-something albums. Did I like every single one of them? No. But, you know... Prince, look at all the music Prince put out in the world. Do I know every Prince song? No. Do I know a lot of them? Yeah. Uh, am I a fan of every single one of them? No. But overall, you know, and you have to allow musicians to grow. They're artists. You know, they have to be allowed to explore things. And maybe you don't like this album, but you know, you may adore the next album. Um, and it's the same thing happened to Metallica when, um, when the huge, what, um, you know, when they gained that huge popularity and they started putting out more melodic music. Oh yeah. You know, they had a huge backlash from their fans and it's like, you, you got to let people grow. You know, you just, it's not, it's not realistic to say that they're going to do the same thing over and over again. I mean, some people do look, the Ramones are always the Ramones are always the Ramones. You got three chords. It's going to be played fast. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting because if you go back to like the sixties and seventies, there were all these, great rock bands that would put out album after album. And it seemed like they're almost always good. Not that I was alive back then, but you know, I've gone back. Um, but it seems like rock music has declined. I don't know if it's because of MP3s or just because of other mu music genres and stuff like that. Uh, do you feel like, do you feel like rock music has declined and do you feel that there's any chance of it becoming big like it was? I personally think that one of the reasons why rock music has declined is more because people don't play instruments anymore. Um, I remember reading a review of Mumford and Sons and in the first paragraph it said, and they all play their own instruments. And I was like, <laughs> they're in a band aren't they supposed to be playing instruments? Like that's something new and different and catchy that they play there. Like this is a selling point. Yeah. It's kind of odd. You still there? Oh, looks like I may have lost Kiwi. Um, I might have to, let's see if she comes back on her own. Uh, looks like my call quality is good. 
Hello, Kiwi. Let's just try calling her back. We can always edit that out of the podcast version. Hello. It's like we'll have to. It's like we'll have to get back to her. Maybe she's restarting her computer. Uh, I don't want to say too much because I'm just gonna edit this out later. <laughs> uh, can't wait until tomorrow. Hey. Hey, sorry about that. The connection just dropped out of nowhere. Yeah. I, it might be my office, but, you know, <laughs> can't. Anyway, um, what was I talking about? Oh. Um, it bans playing their own instruments. Yeah. You know, I think that there's a whole generation of, of people that um, weren't forced to do anything they didn't want to do, you know? Um, and for me, my family were Finnish and they didn't have this American idea that, Oh, you kids should just do whatever, you know, it was like, no, go practice the damn piano. No, we, you know, we're not a wealthy family. You're taking ballet. You're going to practice, you know, you, we're sending you to voice lessons you're going to practice. You're you get the honor of having piano lessons. You're going to practice. Not oh, you don't want to do that. We'll just take you out of it. It's very different. Um, you know, Dee Dee's family the same way. She was like, no, my mom stood over me and made me practice the guitar. Um, you know, she asked for a guitar. Then it was like, we bought you a guitar. You're now going to learn how to play it. <laughs> <laughs> you will die or you will learn to play this guitar. Um, so I think that part of it's that. And I think that rock has definitely has the ability to come back because I think people are getting tired of no soul in their music. I think people are getting tired of uh, drum loops and beats that are made on a machine. And there's something about the humanity of a real drummer and a band that can flow with each other and interact. Um, and just the fact that you see the Americana music you know, 
sort of old country Americana coming back. I'm like, okay, if, if this is coming back, rock is not far behind that. Would you so, say, would you say that kid in the head kind of has an Americana style? No, not at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. So that's, yeah. If they bring a banjo in, I'll break it. Trust me. I don't like that twangy. No. Now speaking um, of speaking of Kittenhead, how did you come up with, or how what is the story behind the name Kittenhead? The name Kittenhead has a yes. There's there truly is a story. So when we first when we first got the band together, um, we all had contacts uh, and. A month in, we had a tour in the Pacific Northwest planned for a for a month later. So two months in, we've already got uh, six shows up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but we needed a name. <laughs> we didn't have a name. We had shows. So um, being very logical and reasonable, I say, okay, everybody throw in your best, you know, five to eight names, I'll go through, I'll look them up, and then I'll bring back the ones that aren't being used to you guys, and we'll make a decision. We'll just vote on it. So we were Skyping to vote on these names, and I really had zero attachment to any of the names. So I was playing with my cat, who was a kitten at the time and she would retrieve. So I was throwing this ball down the hallway and her name's Rory and I'm ignoring my bandmates who are talking amongst themselves. And I go, Rory, Rory, Kittenhead, you're such a good girl. And they're like, Kittenhead, Kittenhead, that's a great name. And I was like, you can't name the band after my cat. We're a democracy and they outvoted me. So <laughs> we are called Kittenhead after my cat. It's kind of a, a good good name because you can actually use the cat head logo. I think that's, that's kind of uh, clever marketing. Why, thank you. Um, yeah, after I, it took me probably two weeks to figure out that, oh, yeah, this is going to have some really good marketing <laughs> potential around it. So, um, yeah, it took me about two weeks to go, okay, yeah, you guys are right. It's kind of like the little uh, Playboy bunny or something like that where you just recognize it. Right, exactly. And we had... Uh, so a friend of ours in Reno um, designed the Kittenhead logo that you see on the um, front of the CD. And that's the logo we've been going with. Uh, Nick is a rock star. He's fabulous. Um, and he has a business. I don't know the name of his business or I would plug him. Um <laughs> But yeah, and we can update it and 
It really, it's catchy. It's a great logo. Um, okay, Train, just stop. Completely, <laughs> it happened completely by accident. <laughs> really. So. Now, it, let's say, uh, let's say that you and the band had a chance to go on a show like America's Got Talent. Would you would you be willing to do something like that if it meant getting a lot of exposure? Um, we will play a show pretty much anytime, anywhere. I we would do that. We would go on America's Got Talent. I don't have a problem with that. I mean. It you know the record industry is in shambles. There's not a lot of ways to get broad-based support these days. Um, I'm not adverse to television. I think that we as artists need to be really creative in how we pursue things if we want to make a living at our art. Um, and say no if there isn't a you know if there isn't a ideological reason to refuse an opportunity i think that stepping into each opportunity is is the best way to go about it you know there's a the famous character actress uh, holland taylor in an interview said, you know, she's now in her seventies and they, somebody said, my God, you've made all these great career choices. How did you do it? And she said, my big secret is I always said yes. Oh, that's good advice. (laughs) Say yes. When opportunity comes to you, say yes. Is, is there like a, maybe a little hard core group of fans that follow the band around? We do have some hardcore fans that follow the band around. And I, I wasn't really, I wasn't really aware of it. Um, but about, I guess two months ago, we were down in Southern California playing some shows and, um, Owen actually got hurt and we had to cancel a show. Um, and a friend's drummer was going to play just one song for us so that we could just make an appearance. Um, and there were people there. They wouldn't let us off the stage. First of all, (laughs) I'm like this poor drummer doesn't know. He has no idea. He's just playing a straight beat and we're making stuff up over the top of it. Um, but we had fans there with, uh, this one guy had kitten head rings on all. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's hardcore. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's so hardcore. That's great. Um, and yeah, people all decked out and the show had literally been canceled. Like in all our social media, we had said it was canceled but they had heard that we were going to be there for one song and they came out for one song. And I was like, Oh my God, you guys are, you're badass. You guys are seriously badass. And then we've had people drive from Colorado to Reno to see us. 
Uh, they got shirts. <laughs> like you're going to drive that far. I'm going to give you swag. Um, you know, cause again, that's totally badass that you're going to drive. What is that? Six hours to come see a show. That is kind of the nice thing about the way things are now with, you know, the social media and all of that. Sometimes you, you could put something on social media and you end up having a fan over in Africa or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like we're being played in Germany and I guess we're getting a pretty good following in Germany. Who knew? Berlin, here we come. And one of your songs, Derby Girl, actually ended up being a, a theme for, a, is it a roller derby team or a league or something like that? Uh, there are several roller derby teams that use that song for their skate out music. So when their bouts start, they use that um, as their skate out music. And I wrote that for a dear friend of mine who's like a sister to me, who is a derby girl. Um, so that's how Derby Girl came about. Yeah, and yeah, the I think the Santa Cruz League uses it for their like theme for their league. But yeah, it's available. We've made it available for the Derbies to download it. They all they have to do is send us an email if they want to use it. We send them a copy. So very if, happy to support them. They're, if, yeah, the whole roller derby thing, it seems to be gaining a lot of momentum. I, I hear people talking about it here and there. I'm thinking about checking it out. Where are you located exactly? Oh, I'm up here in Seattle. Oh, you're in Seattle. Oh, yeah, man. they Seattle, they're, um, they totally kick ass up there. They uh, The Rat City sells out uh, Key Arena. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's impressive. Yeah. No, man, you should. I've been to Key Arena. That, you should go check that out. It's, it's super cool. Like, it's, like a, it's like a real version of WWE. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan, so it's kind of right up my alley. Oh, I think, you, I think you'd love it. Yeah, it's totally up your alley. If you love pro wrestling, you need to go to a derby match. That's yeah, yeah. You're you're the second guest within a two month stretch that's come on here and told me to go watch roller derby. You would love it if you like wrestling. You would love it. Now, Kiwi, if you could perform anywhere in the world, where would you perform? My number one thing would be to do a world tour. Really. Um, but if I had to choose one place, hi, one place. I'm really bad at one. Um, <laughs> the Gorge, the Taj Mahal. I actually, I love the Gorge. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I've seen Hart play there. Um you know, probably London, uh, Greenwich Park has an amphitheater that is, you know, the Thames is behind you. And then it's like 
the Greenwich Mean Timeline is there. Kind of nerdy Doctor Who thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I love London. So probably London. Um, but really ever and i'd love to play like where the berlin where the berlin wall came down that would be totally cool so are you a doctor who fan my friends are seducing me to the doctor who side oh <laughs> <laughs> they are they i have i have two really good friends who are who have watched every doctor who episode ever and so I've been watching Doctor Who and I'm starting to I'm starting to uh fall a little not gonna say that I'm there yet, but I'm definitely closer to a Doctor Who fan than not. Um I've been trying to resist this for a while, but I think the Kool-Aid might have been drunk, so <laughs> Yeah, once you get started, you're you're done. You're gonna you're gonna be buying those little mini Tardises and doing stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. They already have they have a Tardis blanket on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I am I'm a big sci-fi fan, so you know it's not a stretch. Okay, I got a two part question for you. It might be a little bit challenging. Okay. The first half is going to be, Kiwi, in your opinion, who is the greatest female lead singer of all time? Damn. Can we narrow it down by genre? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's, let's narrow it down to, like, rock and metal. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with Ann Wilson. Ann Wilson? I, okay. Yeah. I mean, I really Pat it's it's probably damn. I mean, Janis Joplin just had you know that bluesy thing. I think that Anne had the strongest influence on me in many ways, though. Just, you know, growing up in the Pacific Northwest, um, my cousins played the, you know, played heart all the time. Um, Pat, I love Pat, though. But I'm going to have to go with Anne. <laughs> okay, okay. And the, se the second half of the question, I'm sure you could guess it already. Who, in your opinion, is the greatest male singer of all time? Oh, Robert Plant. Robert Plant. Good choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For pure rock, I mean, if you want, I would say like the purest musician for me would be Prince. Just because... Prince. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty he's pretty legendary. Well, you know, I mean the thing is he could do so many things with his voice. He could play every instrument. Musical genius. You know, he's 
he's rock, he's funk, he's he's uh, R and B. It's the whole package. Uh, I completely agree. In fact, the other day I was browsing YouTube and I came across an old video of Prince and he was playing an acoustic guitar and I was shocked. I could not believe the things he was doing with his fingers while singing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, so immensely gifted. Um, Yeah. It's, you know, that's one of... I have to say that, you know, when David Bowie died, it was, it was hard. It was really hard because just such a, such an innovative person around music, around gender, around uh, presentation, just kind of leading that whole like uh, glam rock revolution um, and, you know, also an innovative music maker, but you could tell he was older and you could tell he was not well. Like I wasn't, I had seen pictures of him, um, around the holidays and I was like, oh, he's not well. <laughs> so I wasn't shocked when he passed. Um, Prince, I had seen him six weeks earlier at a pop-up show here in Oakland at the Paramount. And it was him and a piano and a microphone. And the man was touched by God. He just, it was amazing. He was doing mashups of his own songs, other people's songs. He threw in Scarlatti in the middle of Little Red Corvette. I was like, I'm probably one of 10 people in this theater that knows that he just played Scarlatti. Um, You know, it was just like, he was so alive. He was so accepting of the adoration of the crowd. You could just see how passionate he was to be performing, how much he loved where he was and what he was doing. Yeah, and, and also he was kind of a rebel because he really stood up to, uh, I think it was Sony Sony Music. Yeah, he, oh, that's the whole when he wrote Slave on his face. I'm like, okay, wow, you are a badass and you're going to take on corporate America and you're going to win. I mean, that was the saddest thing to me was he had just won, had just really won that whole thing like six months before he passed. So that was hard and shocking. And Chris Cornell, I I still don't think I'm over Chris Cornell. And you know what? He's in, he's in that male vocal of all time. I would say Chris Cornell is right there. The, pain and he just howled the human condition when he sang how about since you're from the pacific northwest what are your thoughts on kurt cobain kurt cobain um my thoughts how on his suicide or on his uh 
on his legacy, on his music? Um, which- yeah. What, how about your thoughts on his music? And I'd also like to hear your opinion on the suicide, whether or not you feel that Courtney Love could have been involved. Um, his music? Well, you know, having read about um, Kurt, he was really out there and his music, you know, Chris and um, Dave actually did a lot of the sculpting to make the songs more traditional. Um, And he brought more of the wild creativity. I think that he is one of those artists that, you know, caught lightning in the, in a bottle. I mean, just his words, his experiences, expression were exactly what society, what the youth of that time, the angst of that time was searching for. He spoke to an entire generation and didn't really know it and didn't really want the fame. I don't think actually, no, he didn't really want the amount of fame that he got. And he wanted the creativity, he wanted to play music, but you know, that whole other part that you don't really realize that goes along with it. Um, I feel like he wasn't ready for that at all. Um, I know that he was in a lot of actual physical pain, which is part of his addiction. Um, Besides the emotional and spiritual pain. Um, You know, I don't know about Courtney. I don't, I think that the way that they did the intervention was fucked up. And um, just in that alone, there's some complicity in, you know, uh, his suicide. The fact that he could just walk out of well, he jumped a wall and that nobody came after him. Nobody looked for him. Nobody went to the house for him. That seems questionable and very odd to me. Um, And, you know, the other part of it is that suicide is something that Once you get to that point of contemplating it, you need some serious intervention for on a mental health level to not go there, you know, and that's, that is whenever you're talking suicide, 
And I know people question whether or not it was suicide. But whenever you talk suicide, um, if somebody really has that planned and has it executed to that point, um, it's going to be hard to pull them back. You know, it's just... We don't address mental health issues adequately in our society at all. I mean, we barely address physical health in our society. (laughs) So, yeah, in fact, there's a big problem up here in Seattle. We're being completely overrun with homeless people, it's everywhere. I live in the Bay Area. It's bad there, too? Absolutely. I was just in L.A. It's bad there, too. Um, Los Angeles has the largest homeless population outside of Rio de Janeiro. Yikes. Um, And, you know, when are we going to start actually being a society? Which means... When you're society, it's like being a family. You have to take care of everyone in the society. Not just the convenient ones, not just the ones that look like you. Everyone. That's how a society is a society. How do you feel about our current president, Donald Trump? I had to ask. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's fine. Um, I did not vote for him. I um, What do I think of him? Honestly, I think he's a narcissistic asshat who really was completely ill-prepared for this position And did it mainly out of spite and for the attention. I don't really think he thought he would win. Then it became an ego thing. And I actually think that he did um, actively engage the Russians to assist with the election because it doesn't occur to someone who has that much privilege that they have to play by the rules. Um, I think that he is dangerous primarily because he doesn't understand things fully. I don't think he's as stupid as people say he is, but I don't, but this is not an, it's not an easy job. It's a very complicated situation. And unless you've been involved in politics and know all of the complexities of global interdependence, you don't know the job. And running a corporation where you just tell people to do stuff and walk away is very different from being the president of the United States. It just is. And you're supposed to be leading the free world. That's a whole other huge responsibility. 
that I don't think he's adequately equipped for, nor does he seem to want to have people in his circle who can give him salient information on any of these issues um, or give him good advice even. He seems to only want to surround himself by yes people. So, you know, that is also problematic because you can have somebody who doesn't necessarily know all of the nuts and bolts, but has people who do that they rely on, but he doesn't seem to want to do that part either. So I don't know. I don't know how we're going to get through four years of this, but you know, with the Republicans unwilling to look at removing him, and frankly, with Pence, who is just evil behind him, it's like we've decided to go down a scale five rapids with uh, inner tube. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Kiwi, in all the times that Kitten in all the time that Kittenhead has been together, so far, what has been the absolute craziest story that has happened to the band? Craziest I'm sure each one of us has the craziest story. Um well one of the craziest stories, this is our this is the level of commitment that, that Kittenhead has to our shows. We, um, we play this benefit in Reno, uh, usually twice a year. Um, and it's called Marianarchy. It's a fundraiser for a local artist who's fallen on hard times. Um, you know, sometimes it's an illness or a death in the family or anyway, it's a, the community comes together. Um, and Dee Dee's partner happens to live in Reno, which is how we started this, uh, started being included in this event. Uh, and we've done it now for, I think, four years, three years, four years. Anyway, um, last year, they have one in May and then they have one at the beginning of December. We're driving to Marianarchy. And it starts snowing, which, you know, had chains in the car. We were in a whiteout blizzard. I don't even know how we actually made it over the mountain, frankly. <laughs> and we show up and they're like, you're here? Really? And Owen is like, I'm never driving. Oh, poor Owen grew up in Southern California. He's like, I'm never driving in snow again, ever. Um, which I understand. But I mean, it's just the insanity of Kittenhead that we would actually, it wouldn't even occur to us that we are now driving in whiteout conditions and maybe we should stop. <laughs> it's like, no, we have a show to get to. Let's go. <laughs> um, let's do it. Um, you know, that's probably the, one of the crazier things we've done. I mean, we've, 
we're not huge partiers. We, I mean, we're goofballs in many ways. Uh, you know, I have video of, of Victorian and Dee Dee having a sword fight in the middle of a Fred Myers in, uh, in Oregon, uh, <laughs> going up and down the, the aisles and having somebody come around the corner, you know, that worked there going, could you guys not do that? Like you're not setting a really good example for the kids. Um, like, yes, we are. Um, yeah, I mean, crazy stories, taking pictures, pretending to eat each other's arms on a downer, uh, pass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We have we have a bad sense of humor, have to say. I noticed uh, you guys kind of have a unique way of dressing. Is this just how you guys would dress in your everyday lives, or are you going for a certain look with the band? Um, I would say that we each choose. I don't know that we're going for a look. I think that's what each of us feels comfortable with. Um. You know, each time we perform, everybody has probably a little bit different something, something on. I'm probably the most consistent because I tend to start with a nice white shirt and a tie on. And then as we go and I get hot, that all comes off because I don't like to overheat. Um, I think that Dee Dee likes... To, I mean, we all like to get dressed up. You know, we're performers. We like the show. We like, uh, we like dressing up. But I don't know that it has any. I mean, yeah, I wear a lot of the things that I wear on stage in my everyday life. So, what would you say are your top three? pieces of music, your top three songs that you've created so far? Of our songs? Um, yeah. Tin Man. I love Tin Man. Um, Tin Man is, uh, so the first verse of Tin Man is the Scarecrow. And uh, that verse is about Matthew Shepard. Because when they found Matthew Shepard, they thought he was a scarecrow. Um, the second verse is The Lion. And that is about Trayvon Martin because Trayvon Martin was killed for his courage because he wouldn't back down. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and the tin man is society who has to stand up and find their heart and stop things like stop the violence stop killing each other over our differences um so that song is very very close to my heart and victoria and i wrote that on the way home from a show one night <laughs> uh so yeah um I love the song Dreamland because uh, 
of the way it came together in this studio. We wrote it um, in the studio. I had two riffs that sounded similar to me, that one that Dee Dee had sent me and one that Victoria had sent me. And I said, hey, these two riffs sound the same to me. And 15 minutes later, they were recording Dreamland, and I was over in the corner scribbling lyrics. And that's really where the song came from. And it's a song about how really the hatred in the world comes from the fact that we don't see each other and that we don't communicate with each other, that we don't recognize that we all are the same. Um, and then... Probably number nine, just because it's got this great kind of secret agent uh, baseline to it. And it's fun and and people always get a kick out of it when we perform it. And it's just a silly like, hey, I'm the best. Uh, and I have this secret weapon that uh, is going to seduce you every time which is secret weapon number nine. Okay. Very cool. And you did, you did mention that the first song that you mentioned, Tin Man, you mentioned a part of that song is about Trayvon. In your opinion, why, why are we having an issue like this in society? Why are black young black males being shot by white cops? Are they, are they just racist? Is this some, some kind of sickness of society what is going on here? I really think that it is a matter of institutionalized racism and and a certain level of of white supremacy, which you know people the one of the big problems is white people freak out when you say that when you say we have a problem with uh, white supremacy. Um, they go, well, I'm not a Nazi. I'm not racist. And I'm like, yeah, you are. And I mean, I'm white. I benefit from this society. I benefit from the way the society is set up. And I have worked a lot on my own um, preconceived ideas that I was taught growing up in a pretty much all white city. Um, and it wasn't like, and in some ways, because there were no people of color, I had the advantage that I wasn't inundated as other people were who grew up in places where they were like, those people are bad. Well, there was nobody to point at, you know, <laughs> So, but our society is set up in such a way that we view black people and specifically young black men as threats. They don't have to do anything to be perceived as a threat. That is inherently racist. It just is. And until we're willing to do real work around racial issues and real work about 
deconstructing the way that we are inundated with this imagery and um, conversation of the black male as other, this is going to continue. And we as white people have to own our thing. We can't put it on, on people of color to do all the heavy lifting. They don't have the privilege that we do. We have to own our privilege. We have to step forward and say, these things need to change. We actually want a society where people are equal. You know, I mean, there was that great YouTube video of the woman who said in a classroom, she's like, she had everyone raise their hand who they said that they thought that racism wasn't necessarily an issue. And they said, and then she said, okay, so if you really don't believe that racism is an issue, are you willing at this moment in time to be a black person in this country? And if you are stand up and nobody stood up, so if you're not willing to be that person, there's obviously you know that there's something going on. And there's no one answer. There's no one simple answer. There's a lot going on. There's a cycle of poverty. There is, look, I mean, I think poverty is a huge thing. It goes back to the homeless issue. It goes back to the fact that white people feel like stuff's going to get taken from them. And it's like, well, couldn't there just be enough for everyone? We are in supposedly the richest country in the world, but we also have this, you know, 0.1% that owns 80% of everything. What's that? None of it is simple, but if we are willing to look at some of these very hard issues, we can make some progress. What do you think about some of these conspiracies out there that there is a, a hidden 1% of 1% of elite, super rich individuals that control the entire world? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised um, you know, if you look at how many people would that be in the United States? Even if it was a thousand people, if half of those thousand, you know, 500 of them decided to control everything, could they? Well, yeah, that was kind of, uh, <laughs> that was kind of the issue with, with some of these guys like Prince where, uh, the music industry is even being controlled by certain individuals. Right. It is. Well, and that's one of the things like to me, I'm like, do I want to sign with a major label? What do I give up if I do that? I'm not so sure I want to. I'm not so sure I wouldn't. I would have to look at the, you know, it's always, it's the same thing. I always say yes. Well, it's also say yes to the right thing. 
Yeah, even mm-hmm. even me, I've had that experience where people have said, oh, Daniel, we want to bring your show on this or that network. But the thing is, I got my website. I'm on social media. Do I? What can they do for me? I, I have listeners. I'm on my own. Do I really need anybody? Right. Right. And what do you give up? You know, that's always the key. What do you give up for that next step? Um, I always say yes until it until it's a no (laughs) and that it's a no when it is no longer benefiting what I want to do in the world. You know, I mean, like I'm, I'm not going to sign, you know, people say, well, would you do a commercial? And I'm like, well, who's it for? Is it something I believe in? Sure. Is it Monsanto? No. (laughs) Does the band, this is another kind of a two-parter question. Does the band eat together? And if so, do you guys have any favorite spots either in LA or anywhere else that you like to go to? Well, we usually don't have a huge choice of where to go to. When we eat together, um, frequently it's after a show, and therefore it's 2 in the morning, and it's whatever's open that isn't Denny's. (laughs) Okay, good choice. (laughs) Um, What we do try to do is if there's a local thing open – that, you know, like a mom and pop place, that's where we'll go. Um, you know, we end up in L.A. If we're in L.A. proper, we end up at either uh, Table 24 or Cantor's because that's what's open. Um, in the Bay Area, it's usually one of the, you know, a Chinese restaurant that's open. <laughs> awesome. Um that's that's the thing. It's open. Um, we do go to the Red Hat, which is a pastrami place in uh, the OC when we rehearse at Owens. Um, yeah, not necessarily healthy fare, but there you go. <laughs> is that where you guys usually rehearse? Do you go to Owens? Yeah, we've been... We've been rehearsing at Owens. We have uh, we rent studio space up in the Bay Area when we rehearse in the Bay. Um, so, yeah, Owens, he has a garage. We're literally garage band. <laughs> How do you guys get all your equipment around? Do you have a truck or a van or something like that? Um, Owen has a station wagon. I know that's so super sexy. Um, <laughs> He is the drummer, you know, it's all the drums go in there. Um, and I have a diesel Jetta, but the, and I have all the swag, uh, and then either Victoria's cab and then, uh, or, you know, like we, we combine between our vehicles to get the gear around when we go on tour, we'll have a, we'll have a van, you know, we've, I think we decided that the next tour we might actually even get uh, a uh, 
you know, a trailer to pull around because the van was a little tight last time. But we get on well, so it's fine. All right, Kiwi, let's say that somebody, a young person out there, wants to get involved in music. They want to sing. They want to be a singer. What advice would you give all those young, aspiring singers out there? What can they do to improve their singing capability and and break into singing? Really, um, train, practice, listen to artists that you like. Um, Don't copy them, but emulate them. Take what you like from them, but, you know, I always say be your own person. Don't, don't, you know, don't try to be Janis Joplin. Don't try to be Amy Winehouse. Uh, create your own sound, but go get the training. It's very, very important to sing from your diaphragm to get the proper um diction to get the proper use of your throat to learn how to warm your throat up Uh, because the thing about a voice specifically is that it's a muscle and like any other muscle if you don't use it right you can damage it so um the thing to me is that people always think that they should you know that it should be some magical thing that will happen and that they don't have to work at it. It actually is work. It's being a singer is much like being an athlete. You have to be in shape. You have to keep your vocal cords in shape. Um, You have to work at it. Uh, And so if you're not willing to put the work in, then I would recommend a different profession. (laughs) Do you... Does the band do anything or do you do anything special for Halloween? Um, we all like Halloween. Um, we've played shows on Halloween, but I wouldn't say we do necessarily anything special or more special. We're a very, uh, we're creative, interactive. The train's going by. Um, my office is right by the train tracks Uh, so we're a very entertaining group as it is I don't know that we do anything I have thought about writing a song about Halloween we do have zombie but that's not really about Halloween just happens to be zombie and do you believe in aliens? I believe that we are not the only intelligence in the universe. Just on sheer mathematical principles, I don't believe that that's a possibility. With as many billions of stars as there are out there, I think that we can't be the only intelligent life form and you know to think that we were is to me all ego um have have you read any david brin 
Do you know David Brin? The name that, sounds familiar, but I don't recall. He wrote the Uplift series. It's a um, it's a science fiction series. He's really great because his his aliens are not all uh, bipeds. But he points out in his series that Earth is a backwater. I mean, like the Earth is like some tiny village in the Ukraine. Hmm. <laughs> Where it is on the outer part of the Milky Way is just like, you know, I mean, it would be like a small town on your way to Walla Walla if you're talking about Washington. <laughs> like, nowhere. So the fact that they haven't come to visit us is just like, we're not even really on the map. <laughs> How about an afterlife? Do you believe in life after death? I believe, do I believe in life after death? I believe more in reincarnation or even the idea that, uh, that we as humans are made up or we as the satient being are made up of uh, different combined elements and that we go back into a pool and those elements get recombined in different um, formulas um, or that we come back. I don't believe that it's all over when we die. You know, energy is energy is energy. Have you ever had any any sort of paranormal experience in your life, like maybe a ghost or seeing a UFO or anything like that? Um, I feel things all the time. I mean, I don't, I don't think that we're necessarily alone on this realm. I believe that there are ghosts. I believe that there are spirits that aren't necessarily, um, that we can't see. And yeah, I grew up in a town with a bunch of old houses and, you know, everyone knew that there were areas where there were ghosts. And then, so in Astoria, the middle school is um, has this forest behind it. And when you ran around the track, um, you would the back side of the track was by this forest. And you know, there's all these screaming kids. It's a middle school. Um you always got the feeling and it wasn't just me. Cause I asked people, I'm like, does that just give you the creeps over there? Or is it just me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, that place where you're walking and you're like, Hmm, creepy. Like I'm hoping it's an owl or something like that watching me, but the malicious intent that I am feeling from it. Most likely not an owl. Um, yeah, that area had that like 
you could fit you could feel almost like a presence oh there's a it was definitely a presence and not a friendly one <laughs> <laughs> you know i was always like is this like a troll or something i mean growing growing up with this scandinavian uh influence it was like is there like a troll out here and they put the middle school by it and the trolls like can't even eat these damn kids because they're too freaking quick or, (laughs) (laughs) you know, they're smart enough not to come close enough for me to snatch them. But yeah, really totally creepy place. Never. And we ran through the woods all around there. Never in that area. No one would go in there. Just with, Living in living in California, and I ask because I, I always hear my friends that live down there, they always say that this happens. Do you ever run into any celebrities just walking around or going to the store? Um, well, I live in Oakland now, but I've I lived in in Los Angeles um for quite a while. And yeah, you see people. And you see people that you're like should I, do I know that person? Do I need to go say hi or (laughs) is, or are they famous? (laughs) Like, am I going to be an asshole because I didn't go say hi to that person that I met at the party? Or is that just somebody famous? And that's why I think I remember them. So you have that moment in Los Angeles. Like, you know, the, uh, I don't know if you watched, um, NCIS Los Angeles. I'd catch I'd catch it every once in a while, right? So the two nerdy, pe- you know, the the girl and the guy, the blonde guy, tall guy. Uh huh. He went to my Trader Joe's all the time, <laughs> and every time I saw him, I would do a double take. I was like, "Oh, oh yeah, you okay?" Um. So you know, like I saw him all the time, um, and which is funny uh and i lived near the sunset strip so i would see people and be like oh and if you go to there are certain places like you would see ozzy all the time on the sunset strip oh that must have been cool yeah (laughs) is is he like an idol of yours because he's such a great singer um i think that he's I wouldn't say that Ozzy's an idol of mine. I love the cult of personality around Ozzy. Um, and he, I, I really, I like him, but I wouldn't say that he was one of my like top 10, you know, I, it, I just also think that he's a little before my time as far as listening to, to their music. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in my formative years of when I was listening to vocalists, that wasn't, he wasn't one of the ones that I listened to, but I love, you know, I love him. I love uh, Black Sabbath. I think that their music is completely underrated. Although now I think it's getting more recognition than it did before. You know, I think a lot of times metal gets overlooked People think that they're not musicians, uh, that they're just 
headbangers and they don't listen to the complexities of the of the rhythms or the complexities of the music that's being produced. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with that. It metal has always kind of been, uh, it's always kind of had its following. It got real popular there. I think it was like the late eighties, but other than that, it's just, it's kind of had its own following. Right. Do you, do you feel like metal gets a short shift because of, you know, there are so many bands that are highly repetitive that the ones that are good don't necessarily get the recognition musically. Yeah. I do think that there was a period there where you had a lot of like hair metal, fast metal bands and they kind of all got lumped together. It it was kind of a weird time because you had that style of music that was real popular. And then the alternative scene kind of took over and you didn't really see mainstream heavy heavy music until uh corn and limp biscuit and, and then the new metal rap metal guys started coming along so um i think it's you know there's pluses and negatives about that i'm somebody that will go on youtube and look up all these obscure swedish metal bands and stuff like that but i, I know most people probably aren't into it right well i mean you look at some uh, a band like queensrike and you're like you know, the, when people say, oh, well, metal's just, I'm like, go look at Queensryche. They are verging on metal. I would say they're hard rock, metal, you know, and I'll say Judas Priest. Go listen to Judas Priest. It's much more complicated than even the Scorpions, much more complicated than, you know, that the hair metal that kind of took metal out of the mainstream and yeah yeah i I mean i kind of like it nowadays because now it's like you can be into whatever you're into and whereas before everybody was like when i was going through high school everybody listened to like the deftones and stuff like that but now there's not cd stores like there used to be so people just kind of listen to their own subgenres genres that they like and I, I think that there, that's restricting in a sense, but also it's a lot liberating because bands that normally wouldn't get the exposure or are from a type of music that's not super popular, they're, they're able to build those followings. So I think that aspect is good. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that it's, it's great because you can get, in many ways, you can get exposure uh, easier now. In a whole other way, it's so much harder because there's just you know it's literally you have to do it yourself so you're you're doing all of that work that that the record company used to do for you (laughs) yeah exactly or not if they you know if you piss them off (laughs) yeah um i i think that what you were saying about social media is important too because whereas before when people would talk face to face one bad thing about it is people do kind of get alienated to each other. I think that those are some strong words that you were saying there. And a lot of us are just really xenophobic and alienated and and we're actually lacking a lot of social skills that we should have because we're stuck, you know, on the Twitter or behind the computer. Right. Well, you know, that's kind of what zombie is about or the song zombie is about the fact that society is, is so insular now to it you know like people don't 
Well, like you, I watch people walk down the street and they're on their phone. <laughs> they're, they're literally, they're, I'm like, they're not looking at where they're walking. I've watched people where I'm looking at them and I'm like, we're at a, a restaurant. They're on a date. They're both on their phones. And I'm like, I hope they're texting each other at least. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of sad. The table from each other. You look, you're both dressed nicely. You look like you're on a first date and yet you're on your phones. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, uh, looking, looking forward, like in terms of expectations, goals and stuff like that, where do you, where do you and Kittenhead want to be 10 years from now? Well, I want to be talking to you about how, you know, we've just released our 10th album and how the global tour is going and um, on your on your syndicated worldwide show. That'd be great. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's really what we want to do. I want to be performing across the planet or maybe several planets um, <laughs> playing our music and making videos, having a great time, hopefully sending a message that is positive and, and promotes social change. It seems like you kind of like being one of those bands that has a strong uh, message towards society. I think that it's a responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's the message that I got growing up was that voting is not a right. It's a responsibility. Um, I feel if I have a platform I'm not a shrinking violet by any stretch of the imagination. If I have a platform, I'm going to say what I think. Um, I, I, you know, we're at a point that we can't play nice. <laughs> it's not about being um, quiet anymore. Quiet is how the Nazis took over Germany. People were too polite to say something. I'm not going to be too polite. I'm going to say things that may not be popular with certain people, but that's what I think. And, you know, the reality is I believe every human being has the right to be here and they have the right to free speech, to express their religious views, to have health care, to have water, to have air to breathe, that human beings have certain rights just by their existence. Now, you, you know, like we should have all learned in kindergarten, my rights end where your rights begin. 
which means I don't get to shout you down. You don't get to shout me down. That's one of the problems I see with with the right wing is that they think that they have the right to shout everybody down and tell people how to live. Um, this band is about standing up and saying, hey, look, look at this band. Do you see us? Do you see who we are? If we can have a great time making music, being as diverse as we are, y'all can do it too. Society as a whole can get along. If we can do this and be this vulnerable with each other, society can do it as well. So take a page out of Kittenhead's book and start talking to each other. And we are, unfortunately, we are getting to the end of our interview here, but I wanted to go ahead, Kiwi, I wanted to go ahead and just let you go ahead and get on the soapbox one more time if you'd like and just say whatever you'd like to say to all the people out there. And if you want to follow that up by going ahead and plugging whatever you would like to plug, feel free to do that right now. Well, hey, this is Kivy from Kittenhead. I want every single one of you to stand up for what you believe in, go out there, march in the streets, take your country back, listen to each other. Listen to each other politely, give each other time to speak. But know that each of us have the right to our ideas, our ideals, whether or not you believe in what the other person thinks, feels, believes. And if you like the message that you've heard, go to iTunes, find Kittenhead, download our stuff, go to Zazzle, buy a shirt or five, <laughs> support us to get back in the studio so that we can record more of this fun rock and roll music, and uh, come check out a show. You can find us at www kittenheadla.com or Reverb Nation uh, look up Kittenhead and all your social media outlets Kittenhead LA because some crazy lady in the Midwest is making Kittenhead bands and I'm so not kidding oh my god <laughs> yep she has kittenhead.com yeah, I did notice something like that going on. Yeah. For her kittenhead bands. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, so there's the drawback of the name. We have to compete with the crazy cat ladies. But Well, I, I figured it out pretty quick, so I think you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I figured out that that wasn't you. Well, you're a smart man. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, Kiwi, first of all, let me thank you for coming on this show. Uh, I had a great time, a little bit different for me because I usually am covering paranormal, but I'm branching out a little bit. So this was super exciting for me. And I had a great time and I, I definitely love to have you on here once again someday. Absolutely. I had a fabulous time. Thank you so much for having me on. Great time with you. And, uh, Hey, next time I'll talk more about paranormal stuff if you want. 
<laughs> yeah, sounds good. And as we head into the break, I'm going to go ahead and play some kitten head music and I will talk to you again next time, Kiwi. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. You have a wonderful 4th of July. You too. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. That was Kiwi from Kittenhead, lead vocalist of Kittenhead. That was very interesting because I'm usually I'm usually interviewing people about paranormal and as much as I love paranormal, everything about it, it was kind of refreshing and cool to be able to interview somebody about music. I definitely see myself wanting to do this again, wanting to be able to talk about bands like Nirvana and being able to ask people about the process. That's really exciting for me. Don't worry. We're not going to branch off too much. The show's not going to change. The format's not going to change. This is still a paranormal show, but I think that it's good to mix it up a little bit here and there. All right. As we head into the break, I'm going to, of course, be playing some Kittenhead. Let's do it.
Welcome back to the end of days. This is Daniel, your host. And I'm and I'm back. Just getting comfortable. Yeah. Oh, what a good time, right? So different. So different. So refreshing to not be talking about reptilians, not be talking about things like that. <laughs> okay, I have quite a bit going on right now. I do have some stuff to talk about, but I'm going to start off and begin this wrap-up portion of our show by saying, remember to check out endofdaysradio.com. That's where you can get the schedule for the live show, as well as the forum, chat room, and the latest episode is always posted at endofdaysradio.com. I also wanted to read some fan mail. Go ahead and start things off with a little bit of hate mail. Hopefully it's not hate hate mail today. (laughs) Actually, it's not, but I'll go ahead and get started. So this first letter says, Daniel, I love your show, but I hate when you talk about Trump. I hear about Donald Trump. I hear about Donald Trump when I listen to your show. Hold on. I, this guy wrote really weird. I hear about Donald Trump all day. Then when I listen to your show, I want to hear something else. Please go back to focusing on paranormal news only. Fuck gay political shit all the time that's from devin uh devin i'm very sorry if i am talking too much about donald trump i totally get that i mean i'm listening to the radio i'm going on twitter i'm seeing all the stuff about trump and because it's always in my face i suppose i end up talking about it um i don't know about are we still using the word gay as a derogatory slur I'm pretty sure that's considered very politically incorrect at this point, Devin. So you might want to update your vocabulary. Otherwise, people might think that you're not a very nice person. Um, but I, point taken. I don't I don't want to be a show that talks about Trump all the time. It just so happens that the news stories I have today are about Donald Trump. Um, but... I probably should stop talking about Donald Trump so much. This first news story, well, it's not a news story. It's just it's just what everybody's been talking about. It's this whole Donald Trump CNN thing where he, I guess he posted a video of him in a wrestling ring beating up CNN, beating up the CNN logo or something like that. I didn't even watch it. I'm so busy. There's just I'm just constantly being bombarded by this Trump stuff. And what do I think of that? I think it's kind of funny that somebody's going after the mainstream news because they do kind of suck. Uh, I am a little disturbed because I have to wonder why our president is spending so much time on Twitter. That should be like lowest priority type stuff. You would think that he would be too busy, but that's a moot point that a lot of people are making. So I, I don't like it, but this is kind of what I was looking forward to is having Trump do funny stuff that makes me laugh. I feel like he's trying to be an entertainer, which I can relate to because I'm trying to entertain people. So I think it's funny, but as far as a president, that's bad. I mean, you can't be setting an example like that. What, where do you, where does a presidency stop, start and stop? And when do you start becoming an entertainer? It just, it doesn't work. I really think that 
if Donald Trump wants any chance of being reelected, he's probably going to have to curb down on that stuff. If there is any chance, or there might be a hundred percent chance. I don't know. It seems like we go Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, and they serve eight year terms period. It doesn't seem like there's any four year terms anymore. It seems like the right and the left go back and forth. So who knows? I, I can't remember the last time we had two Republicans in a row or two Democrats in the row. Can can you people out there remember that? I, I can't at all. So I can only assume we're going to do four more years of Trump if he doesn't get in trouble, which I doubt because even Clinton didn't get in very much trouble. So I think that we're going to end up with another, I, I think we're going to end up with a full eight-year term. And the other thing is that other news story is Trump is still bringing up the war on Christmas. Now this, I got to kind of side with Trump a little bit because he's really against taking away Christmas and replacing it with other words like winter solstice and stuff like this. This I actually like because I love Christmas. I don't, I'm not religious. I'm not religious at all. So I don't, I can see why people have a problem with it, but I, don't see it because I love Christmas and I don't like them taking away Christmas out of school, out of anywhere because it's not really a religious thing. It's a holiday where Santa Claus comes and brings you presents. If anything, it's very materialistic and greedy. I don't think that it's a part of our culture that needs to be changed. I think that even if you're a Jehovah's witness or something like that, you probably love Christmas movies. Now, if you're Jewish, that has got to suck because you don't get any presents on Christmas and and you don't get to participate in any of that stuff. But then again, you have Hanukkah. And for all I know, Hanukkah is friggin' awesome and you get a present every day. So what do I know? But I don't like them taking away Christmas. I like Christmas. Christmas is my favorite holiday after Halloween. Halloween's the best because it's just Halloween. It's cool. I mean, you dress up like scary stuff and you watch scary movies and there's all kinds of events and culture and horrific things surrounding Halloween. But then Christmas is what we all look forward to. We see our family, we eat our, eat our special Christmas time foods like eggnog and Turkey and ham. And it's always a good time. You get really fat. It's always fun. So I, I gotta, gotta kind of side with the Trumpster a little bit on, on this one. I think that getting rid of things like Christmas is going a little bit too far. Uh, I do have a new project I'm starting. I'm tired of pooping in the house. I want to get at one with nature, and I want to see if some, doing something like this is even possible. So I'm calling it Project Shit in the Woods, where basically every time I have to take a dump, instead of being inside with the toilet paper and sitting on a nice toilet and all that, I'm going to try to just squat out in the woods and take a dump. I'm going to see how it goes. Am I able to clean myself properly? Am I able to keep the fecal matter at a reasonable distance away from the house so that I don't smell it? Am I able to avoid attracting large animals like bears or Sasquatch? Uh, am I able to clean properly? Am I going to be very itchy? Am I going to smell bad? These are all very relevant questions that should be taken into account if we are to enter into some kind of end time scenario. So I'm going to from this, from this day forward, I'm going to start Project Shit in the Woods. Anytime I got to go, I'm, instead of going for the bathroom, I'm going to turn around, walk out the door, and find myself a nice hidden little area. And hopefully there will be some 
large leaves nearby and maybe maybe some dew or maybe a little puddle or a stream that I could get some water from to kind of clean myself a little better. Uh, uh, one thing I want to recommend out there for you guys is to check out a lot of you guys are already going to know what this is, but there's a guy on YouTube called the nostalgia critic. And I just started to get into his videos and they are so funny. Like all those crappy movies that you can think of. He's kind of like the angry video game nerd, but his thing is all about movies. And he did one on, he did one on uh, alien resurrection that got me laughing. I actually like that movie. He did one on Stephen King's It that I just watched that was equally hilarious. He did one on Suicide Squad where I just could not stop laughing. His humor is kind of different. He's very... He he uses every opportunity for a joke. So initially you might watch it for a few minutes and be like, oh, this guy's trying to be funny. He's so ridiculous. But just keep watching because the odds are going to catch up with you and eventually you'll start rolling and cracking up. So give it a chance. Check out the Nostalgia Critic. And I, I do want to say something about America because it is the 4th of July. I am I am a red-blooded American and very proud. I know I talk all the time about this or that conspiracy or this or that group that's in control, whatever. And, and yes, that is how I feel. That is what I believe. However, I am an American first and foremost. I support our Constitution. I believe in what our forefathers believed in when they started this country. I believe in freedom. I believe in equality. I believe in all the things that our American flag stands for. Liberty. We have a statue that represents liberty, the Statue of Liberty. That's great. I love Independence Day because we're celebrating our independence. Now, how much independence we actually truly have, I suppose that's up for debate. But I absolutely love the 4th of July, even though a lot of people blow their hands off, blow their heads off, a lot of people die, I totally love 4th of July. And I love my country. We have problems. There's a lot of racism in this country. There's a lot of, there's a big gap between the rich and the poor. There's a lot of homeless. There's issues with education. It just goes on and on. But that's, sometimes it's good to have problems because if you have problems, then you have problems that you can fix. And to be aware of your problems is the first step. I don't know if we're ever going to get out of this horrible economic rut we've been in since I was, what, in high school, junior high school. But hopefully, eventually, we will. I, I don't know if we're so much in an economic rut as perhaps this is just the big Ponzi banker scheme going on, so maybe we'll never get out of these harsh, so-called harsh economic times. I think that's probably closer to the truth than anything, but I still love my country despite this or despite that. And you should, wherever you live, you should love your country too, because it's about the people. It's not about the leaders. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about the people. That's really what you love when you love your country. You love the people. Just want to talk a little bit about America because Tomorrow is the great 4th of July. People are already lighting off their fireworks. You know, I was at Walmart the other day, and there was a fire going on, and all the fire trucks were coming, and all I could think of was, oh my God, really, people? It's not even the 4th yet. You've already lit all of this tall grass over here on fire, and now you you almost ruined my trip to Walmart. I happen to be leaving, but that's scary. There hasn't been a lot of rain the past few days, and I could see some death happening, some fire and some death. 
okay, another thing I want to talk about, escapism. So a lot of people are of this idea that people that are into paranormal, that are into weird stuff like this, ghosts, goblins, UFOs, telepathy, you name it, that the reason why we're into this is because we're losers, because we don't have lives, because we 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 can't find wives or husbands, because we live in the basement. It, it, the list goes on and on. And basically, we hate our lives so much that we're trying to find somebody to blame. So we get into conspiracies and invisible aliens and stuff like that. So there. So I'm going to start off. Don't be offended, but I'm going to start off by saying yes, there is a little bit of truth there. A lot of us that are into this stuff are the people that did not fit in, that weren't the jocks, that weren't the popular kids. The people we're the people that aren't sitting there worrying about things like popularity and clothing and stuff like that, right? But really, I feel that that's a good thing because somehow naturally, a lot of us have been given this motivation to look into things that are weird, that are fringe, that are bizarre. And that's a good thing because if we didn't have that motivation, we wouldn't even explore those things at all. Like, what about Star Trek? A lot of nerds are into Star Trek. But if there wasn't a whole population of nerds out there in Trekkies, there wouldn't be a hardcore fan base to support Star Trek, which benefits everybody, because just about everybody likes Star Trek. I mean, they might not dress up like Geordi LaForge and go to a convention, but it, they still like Star Trek. So I think that if if you didn't fit in and you have always felt isolated and alone your whole life and have not been interested in anything and somehow that has caused you to look for an escape and look for some way out of the matrix or way out of your life and you discover the world of the paranormal, the world of the occult, that's an awesome thing and you should pat yourself on the back and you should be proud of yourself because you took a negative and you turned it into a positive. Yeah, I'm angry. I'm going to beat my chest. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> not going to go super long today, but I do have a one more fan letter. I was saving this for last. This one says, Hi, your show is amazing, and you are the cutest. This letter comes from Amy M. That's Amy M. She seems to think that I am the cutest. Well, Amy M., I what do I say to that? Thank you. That's awesome. I'm glad that you that you think that. That is a very healthy opinion. I'm glad that you like the show. Um I'm I'm glad that you find me to be an attractive person. I I I believe that I am. So thank you for that. Thank you Amy M. I I hope that maybe maybe we could get together sometime and share a bagel. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Anything's possible. But until then, until then, I, I've i got to go. If you like End of Days Radio, go to endofdaysradio.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube. Follow me on Twitter. That's at Ninja Shoes. Search EODR on your TuneIn Radio app to hear the live show. Add Ninja Shoes 777 on Skype. Call in at 209-348-9810. Like me on Facebook at The Real End of Days Radio. If you want to donate to the show, help keep the servers up and lights on, go to endofdaysradio.com. And click that donate button. Also, on July 8th, we'll be talking to Wolfman Mike from the Monster Castle Paranormal Podcast. That's at 8.30. On July 7th, or actually before that, sorry about that. On July 7th, 
we're going to be talking to Graham and Darren from the Grimerica podcast. That's at 8.30 p.m. Then we got Linda Godfrey on July 11th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, What else is there? That's everything. Everybody, thank you so much for joining me here on the program. And until next time, this is The End of Days, and I'm Daniel, signing out. And I was shown that um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely behind it, again, under false pretenses. He's going to show up and say, I'm here to save the day, right? Uh, and, okay, fine, you know. Yeah, of course, ahead, you can say whatever you want. But I've always hated censorship. It's the internet. Sometimes, you know, once they get you for your first love bite, well, it depends on how aware you are, right? I forgot my bullets. I never had a gun. Here I am left standing. Am I the only one? For what I see, memories have guilted me. I'll never see the sun. Uh, first of all, as you know, the uh, the Anunnaki and the Draco are enemies. Second of all, underneath Baghdad was a stargate that was created by the Anunnaki so that they could transfer from the middle to the Earth. I'll never see the sun I could just end it all But the demons will have one Practitioners that you know, some are, are good and some use their magic for good and to heal and to help, and others do use it for evil. And, you know, in some cases, you know, people really were. <laughs> this is too much sometimes.